Welcome to Granite State Matters, the busy person's way to catch up with what's happening in Concord. Because the extremists are taking over the state house, And what you don't know can hurt you. I'm Steve Marchand. And I'm Terry Harkins. Terry, today we're going to be talking about climate impacts on the health of the people in New Hampshire. We've got a great trio of guests to help us with it, but uh, we've touched on elements of this earlier. I think it was episode six, correct? That's right. We talked about energy in New Hampshire and why we pay more and pollute more. We learned throughout that episode about how Governor Sununu has vetoed bill after bill that would put climate action ahead of short-term interest. Uh, We reviewed how his family directly has promoted the interest of fossil fuel companies since his dad was chief of staff for President H.W. Bush. And so today we're going to be talking about a group called New Hampshire Healthcare Workers for Climate Action, and they have been investigating the links between climate change and health. Obviously, it's a critically important topic for our listeners, and we're really happy to have three very sophisticated people as part of the organization. And so let's take a second and introduce them for the listeners. Uh, Retired cardiologist from Bedford, Dr. Robert Dewey. Doctor, thanks for being here. Oh, glad to be here. We have uh, pathologist Dr. Deborah Gerson. Doctor, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for inviting me. And we have the only doctor in the state Senate uh, from my neck of the woods out in the seacoast, uh, Dr. Tom Sherman. Tom, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. So, Terry, I mean, New Hampshire has always valued the environment, outdoor recreation. It's a core part of who we are, it's our brand, it's in our culture. And of course, everybody values their health. Yes, we do. Well, today we're talking with the experts. And my first question is, what is New Hampshire Healthcare Workers for Climate Action? Well, we are are a group that came together this past summer. uh, And we are a very diverse statewide group of healthcare workers of all types, including physicians, nurses, nurse practitioners, dentists, physical therapists, mental health workers, school counselors, and hospital administrators. Um, Our ages range from retired people to mid-career health professionals, all the way down to medical students and nursing students. We're particularly pleased to have the students on board as they really understand the risks of climate change. Uh, We are all volunteers and completely nonpartisan in our approach. And our mission is to teach other healthcare workers and the public about the very devastating health effects of climate change, hoping to raise awareness and move this climate change problem that's been on the back burner for way too long. We want to move it to the front burner by starting lots of conversations about this topic. When we talk about melting ice caps and loss of polar bear habitat, that's pretty abstract and seems far away. But when we talk about our own health and our children's health, that really is more immediate to all of us. And we're hoping that that immediacy will, will trickle down to some grassroots effects to influence business and political leaders to finally seek serious climate solutions. I mean, that's a good point. The more that we can connect it directly to residents, to voters, constituents, whatever it is, the more likely they are to act. So help us connect that, uh, the direct connection between climate impact and our everyday health. Connect that for folks listening. Um, Well, uh, just as an example, let's talk first just about the magnitude of the problem. Um, This past summer, the World Health Organization said that 
The health effects of climate change is the number one health problem worldwide, causing more morbidity and mortality than any other disease state. Uh, when you look at it, um, air pollution by itself, just the burning of fossil fuels, causes 9 million premature deaths worldwide per year. And COVID has caused about 300, excuse me, 3 million deaths per year. So much, much more severe than that. Also, the NRDC did a study looking at the cost of the health effects of climate change just in the United States. And the cost of that healthcare was $800 billion per year. And when you compare that to the cost of cardiovascular disease, which was always considered the number one killer, the cost for heart disease is uh, $30 billion. So it pales in comparison to the cost of uh, climate change. You've put that very directly into economic terms. When you talk about the business community, Talk, can you talk a little bit about, for the, for the folks in that part of our economy, how should they be thinking of climate change as directly impacting their bottom line? I mean, it's their employees, I suppose. A absolutely. And I think without one thing we've learned, if you look at, going even back to the Clean Air Act from 1970, anytime you improve the environment in any way, you reap tremendous economic benefit. And in this case, uh, just the health benefits alone, if you look at the Clean Air Act, the cost of the Clean Air Act was paid back 30-fold oh. just in health improvements. So there's no question when you incrementally improve the environment, it's an economic windfall every time. So you've talked about air pollution. What are some of the other serious health effects from climate change and pollution? Well, the one that concerns me the most, and I think concerns a lot of New Hampshire residents, is vector-borne diseases. Um, and vector-borne diseases are diseases that are infections that are transmitted by arthropods like mosquitoes or ticks or fleas. Mm -hmm. um, and tick-borne diseases are increasing enormously across the country and in New Hampshire. Um, people in New Hampshire are at risk for a number of different tick-borne diseases, including Lyme disease that most people know about, anaplasmosis, babesiosis and a, a really rare but um, scary one called Powassan virus infection. So in the last year, I personally had a friend whose previously healthy father uh, was infected with two different tick-borne illnesses at the same time and developed severe cardiac failure. Um, and he's still ill at this time a, a year later because of that. Um, and the same week, I found out that a friend of mine's dog had Lyme disease-related uh, kidney failure um, and has since mm. passed away. So I think most people in New Hampshire can think of a person that they know who's been infected with a tick-borne illness. And the incidence of Lyme disease, for example, in the U.S. has nearly doubled um, since 1990 um, in the U.S., and it's particularly increasing in New Hampshire. Um, and the way that this ties to climate change is that we're having shorter winters. Um, and the period of time where ticks are able to be out and active and biting us and transmitting these diseases is increasing. Um, and in the last uh, 50 years, we're having on average 34 more frost-free days in New Hampshire compared to what we had uh, 50 years ago. And so that's 34 more days where the ticks can be out and biting us. So that's one of the uh, impacts that concerns me the most. Well, I'm going to shine the light on a part of this that's near and dear to my own heart, and that is our young people. I have a 21-year-old 
uh, daughter, and I know she and some of her friends have um, some serious anxiety about climate change and also about the the fact that we have failed as the older generations, shall we say, to, to take some action to protect their futures. So can we talk about some policy solutions that um, we might embrace to um, uh, help my daughter along? I'd be happy to take that one as a state senator. And before that, I served two terms in the House. I've sort of watched the evolution of our climate policy we have had some really remarkable bipartisan efforts to take on climate. Unfortunately, as was said earlier, our governor, uh, Governor Sununu, has vetoed more than a dozen bills, most of them bi- bipartisan, to really impact this. And, you know, the, the, the low-hanging fruit on climate in terms of policy is developing efficiency programs. And we had that. We actually had a program called the Triennial Program, that was in front of the PUC, which is the Public Utilities Commission, and they actually, uh, in a vote um, last March, they essentially gutted it. And when they did this, which was uh, really unfortunate because of its direct impact on so many municipalities, not only did uh, certain utilities and programming have to lay off workers, because no longer was there funding for efficiency. But in the city of Concord, they had a program called Weatherize Concord. It would have done over 100 projects of uh, residential uh, facilities and homes. It was fully embraced by Unitil and Liberty, and it had to be suspended. Finally, after a huge amount of public outcry, the governor's appointees finally turned this around last November. That's a delay of almost eight months. And we're starting to get back on track with this issue of weatherization. But you can see how the legislature is hampered by the governor's vetoes. And then even when something makes it through, the governor's appointees can still uh, really dismantle the programs. So it's incredibly important that we keep our finger on the pulse of the policy efforts. And we're seeing some really good work. Senator Waters is doing some amazing work on electrification of our grid. And we're seeing some work on um, being able to reignite the effort that uh, was taking place on offshore wind. These are all active policy issues that have been, in many ways, thwarted by either the governor or his appointees. One thing I want to ask, and this may be, Tom, more for you and your role in the legislature, but anybody, um, in addition to the barriers that, Tommy, you just described, at kind of the lobbying level, where in, in earlier episodes, we've really focused on where a lot of the money from outside, sometimes outside the state, comes in to really negatively influence policy. Um, where are those pressures that you're seeing that try to bend legislation away from the kind of progress that we're all hoping to see? And what can people do about that on a day-to-day basis? In terms of the outside money and the influence, there are two major factors going on right now in the legislature and across the uh, legislative effort on policy. The first is that we've seen this extreme uh, lurch to the right. Uh, We have gotten off track. And that's really driven by the free staters. They took power in 2020, and we saw virtually every effort um, on climate action uh, 
um, stop. It really, they put the brakes on it. And uh, we've seen that almost across the board. The second one is Americans for Prosperity. They've invested heavily to dismantle or derail any effective policy. And it doesn't matter whether it's um, on, from a Democrat or whether it's bipartisan. They have really torpedoed all of these efforts. I would say that as a doctor, the healthcare workers for climate action are really on target. We started a, um, actually had legislation when uh, then Senator Deitch was a part of the, um, of the legislature to have a commission on emissions. And that was a collaborative effort between climate action people and the medical society and the hospital association and the nurses association. Unfortunately, that was a victim of COVID. We did start a program called the Ad Hoc Commission on Emissions, which I chaired, which was outside of the legislature, but that was thwarted by the, um, by the election and the losses that were taken during the election. And it has gone nowhere further after that. But this is really on target, the work that's being done by healthcare workers for climate action, really helping to elevate the educational level of people when it comes to the health impacts. So back to our young folks, uh, the, the mental health challenges that they are going through, not only with COVID, but the larger issue of climate change, and will they really have a future? What have we been seeing as far as effects on, on our young people, as far as um, the uh, climate change and uh, prospects for their future? Yeah. Um, a recent Gallup poll showed that 65% of Americans are worried either a great deal or a fair amount about climate change. And these levels of concern differ by age. So in that, within that group, 78% of Americans ages 18 to 29 worry about global warming. Uh, and recently there was a, a study where they talked to 10,000 young people between the ages of 16 and 25 in 10 countries and asked them how they felt about climate change and the government responses to it. Uh, and nearly 60% said they felt very worried or extremely worried. And 45% of participants said that their feelings about climate change impacted their daily lives. Uh, so I think this is a very serious change. And as a mother of two teenagers, um, I know that they think a lot about what the world is going to be like when they grow up. So I am, this is the main reason that I'm doing this is to try to make a better world for when my kids grow up. You know, Deb, uh, that really connects with me. Uh, I'm a dad of two teenagers, 18 and 16, and uh, they and their peers often talk about mental health issues, their own. They sit in each other. They try to help each other. But one of the words I hear a lot that um, take a difficult situation and make it worse is the feeling of powerlessness, as if big macro things are happening, whether it's a war, an ocean away, or massive climate change, and they feel like their lives are going to be negatively influenced, but they don't feel like they can do a whole lot about it, you know, just a person. So I guess one question for all of you is connecting those dots that um, will help us all feel like we can all do something about it. Uh, legislatively, activism, whatever it is. What are some of the things that our listeners and their their teenage daughters can do uh, to really make a difference on this topic? Well, it strikes me that um, one thing we're hoping to do with our group in general is just start people, first of all, talking about climate change. As I said earlier, put it, putting it on the front burner. And we can all do lots of individual actions in terms of 
of appliances we buy or things like that. But I think the most important thing we can do is vote. We can pressure our legislators to take this seriously, and we can also find out about the climate uh, opinions of people who are running for office. And we have we stress that in all of our talks that we give. People have to use a climate-informed vote to get changes in our legislature. Because as it stands right now, any kind of climate legislation in New Hampshire is dead on arrival. And so we really need a wholesale change at the legislature level. If I could jump in, I would agree with that, Bob. And I think it's really important to recognize the priorities of kids. Many of them are under 18 and can't vote. So for those kids, they need to become lobbyists of their parents <laughs> and they need to become really active. We've seen this at the high school level. Uh, a lot of young people are becoming very active. And when it comes to the mental health impacts, that's a whole different topic, but it's, it's, it's part of this discussion because when you see that level of anxiety, you know, almost 30% of freshmen going into college nowadays actually have a psychiatric diagnosis. And it's usually anxiety and depression. And we in New Hampshire, I've been working the last 10 years trying to build that mental health capacity. And we're, we're making progress in spite of the governor. Um, but we have to look at these priorities. It's not enough to have somebody be a nice guy. You've got to look at what they're actually doing. When you've got more than a dozen vetoes that are looking at exactly what we're talking about today. We can't make progress as long as certain people are still in a position to thwart that project progress. And that's where everyone can become active. Everyone can be, become a part of the discussion, whether it's in the legislature or I wouldn't underscore the ability to do things at home and weatherize your home, put in solar panel, renewable. All of these things at every different level will have an impact. I'd like to jump in and agree with that. Um, I think it's really important to do some of these things at home, and sometimes you can save money by weatherizing your home or installing solar panels. You could make yourself more self-reliant, so if a severe storm comes along, you can produce electricity yourself at, at your own home. So I, I think that's a positive also. I would agree with that also. I, in fact, I can tell you personally, we, we have an old oil burner hot water heater that was on its last legs, uh, maybe not quite on its last legs, but I wanted it out of the house anyway. And uh, we replace it with a heat pump hot water heater. And all of my, although my wife won't admit it, I'm telling you that that water in the shower feels better. Well, getting back to voting and knowing who you vote for, I know the Free Staters have their Liberty Report card. Has your group considered doing a climate report card? Well, I think it's a great idea, and really being able to respond and inform. I think what the, what the group is doing, especially through people like Deb and uh, Bob, is going out into the communities and doing these gatherings where people can ask questions and interact and really see... Uh, Physicians, nurses, other healthcare workers who they respect by their position, really talking about how critical this is, not just for our physical health, but for our mental health. And I just wanted to add something to what Deb was saying. Uh, when we talk about self-reliance in our homes, remember one of the most important things that we're learning really the hard way with 
the uh, attack uh, on Ukraine is how interdependent we are in the world. And if we stay completely dependent on fossil fuels, we will not move towards that kind of energy independence that we actually can have in New Hampshire alone. That means independence. It means having our own source of energy and more jobs in New Hampshire, not exporting all of that. So it's a huge win for New Hampshire if we want to really start thinking about how do we stop being dependent on countries like Russia or the Middle East for this, we can really embrace climate legislation that makes us more self-reliant. And I can't think of anything more important in the live free or die state than self-reliance. Yes, I, I could add to that, that there are a lot of communities that are actually going out now and seeking their own sources of power. Uh, the uh, so-called community power aggregation plans uh, the, the big one is Community Power Coalition, which has about 13 towns and all, all of Cheshire County, and, and they are going to now decide where they're going to buy their energy. So a town can say, we want to be 40% renewable um, and, and make it happen for themselves. Uh, they use the same transmission wires, but they choose where the power comes from. And when, because when you look at these renewable standards, all of the states in New England have pledged pretty much to be 50% renewable by 2030, mm -hmm. with an eye, hopefully, of being close to 100% by 2050. And New Hampshire's goal for 2050 is 15%. So it's an embarrassment that we are not taking this at all seriously, but towns have realized they can do it by themselves if they so choose. Well, that is a, a wonderful discussion, and obviously there's much more to do. Uh, quick question, if folks want to follow up on what you and the organization are doing, uh, how could they best do so? They could visit our website at www.nhclimatehealth.org. We, we, and we have a lot of webinars that are geared for health professionals, but also for lay people. And if you go to the website, you can look up our webinars and you can see every webinar that's been given already is, um, is on file there. So there's lots of material to look at. And it's all free, which is, yes, it is. wonderful. Yes, it is. That's a great part of the pitch. Uh, and uh, that's a great place to end, I think, for today. Uh, we want to thank our guests again for, they're very busy, and they're giving time to, to uh, spread the word to all of us. Uh, retired cardiologist Dr. Robert Dewey, thank you very much for being here. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Pathologist Dr. Deborah Gerson, thank you, Deb, so much for being here. Thank you. And uh, my state senator out on the coast, Dr. Tom Sherman. Tom, thanks so much for taking time today. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. So, Terry, great conversation. Probably good before we get going to talk about the things we often do, the values, the villains, the vision. And the vision. That's right. Well, we know New Hampshire has always valued its environment and outdoor recreation. We know how, that, how important that is to the state and the economy. And, of course, everyone values their health. But, of course, they're the villains. And this came up in a bunch of different ways. Um, we heard about... Some of the legislators that are in some of the movement out of the 2020 election, the Public Utilities Commission, the PUC, our governor, in a lot of cases, purposely thwarting efforts to reduce climate change. And of course, the things this leads to, the flooding, 
dramatic weather events in the big picture, even things we didn't get to today in the economy, our skiing industry and tourism writ large. That's right, tourism. I mean, this, these are really big deals that have direct impact on people's pockets. They sure do. And um, perhaps the vision would be that we need to wake up the people of New Hampshire and get more vocal, get them to vote for the right people so that they can choose leaders who will care for the health and future of our state. That sounds like a plan. This has been Granite State Matters episode about climate impacts on New Hampshire health. In our next episode, we'll converse with Senator Suzanne Prentice. Can towns survive state takeover and the loss of local control? And don't forget, you can follow our bi-weekly podcast at your favorite podcast provider. And please share it with friends and neighbors because extremists are taking over the statehouse. And what you don't know can hurt you. <laughs>